Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. The reading today is from the book of Isaiah, the 61st chapter, verses 1 through 7. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this is. New Year's Eve morning. And New Year's, we're supposed to out with the old and in with the new. Turn the page. What was old, we leave behind and go only with what's the new. And we wonder then why we're reading this passage today. It's Old Testament. It was written some 600 years before the coming of Jesus. And yet we're looking at this Old Testament. What do we think when we look at the Old Testament? It's, it's rules. It's laws. It's a bunch of people getting killed. It's a bunch of names. It's all this vengeance, says the Lord, and all this other stuff. We don't get to the gospel stuff until the New Testament, right? If it's out with the old and in with the new, why are we looking at this Old Testament passage? This passage was written when the people of Israel, God's chosen people, have been taken into captivity and sent off to Babylon for 70 years. The temple that Solomon had built had been flattened. The walls of Jerusalem had been 
knocked down, that cities have been burnt. They had nothing to return to. And all they were experiencing was captivity and slavery. This was the good news for them. This was a promise for the future, for things to come. This is the gospel. This is also the verse, if you know your gospel of Luke, or you've been watching The Chosen. How many people watch The Chosen? Yes. This is the verse that comes right after Jesus has been baptized, in which what? The Spirit of the Lord settled on him like a dove. And what is he open with here? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Jesus goes from the baptism to the 40 days in the wilderness to Nazareth. And the first thing he's doing in the Gospel of Luke is going into the local synagogue where they ask him to read Scripture. Pulls out this roll, the book of Isaiah, rolls right to it, reads what we just heard, something 600 years old at the time, and what does he say? Today on this hearing, you, this has been fulfilled. This promise is fulfilled. He takes this gospel message from the Old Testament and he says it has now come alive. It has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it was good news for the people. It was wonderful news because they also were in captivity. Not with the Babylonians and the Persians any longer like back in the day, but now by the Romans who are putting so much pressure on the Israelis that the, 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 the Jewish people were splitting into the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the thises and the thats, and they had all this pressure on them. And once again, they were in bondage. And they heard this wonderful blessing, this wonderful promise, the Old Testament showing forth its gospel and its hope for the future. And we too can take hope from this. I know I was reading this and I don't know, have you ever had this happen where you've been reading scripture that you've always read and you think you have even the whole thing memorized and you read along there and all of a sudden there's a phrase or a word or something. You said, well, the Holy Spirit must have put that in scripture about a week ago because as many times as I've read it, I've never seen that. <laughs> that ever happened to anybody else? Yes. Here's what struck me. I've read, this is technical, this is called Third Isaiah, it's chapter 39 on, and uh, I've been read it so many times, and then I read this. And I swear he just put it in, the Holy Spirit just put it in last week. He says he will release darkness from the prisoners to proclaim the, years, the year of the Lord's favor. 
Do you know how many times that word of the Lord's favor comes along? That is, he, he blesses us, yes, but it's so much more profound in the Old Testament when he looks upon us with favor. He looked upon Noah and favored him. He looked upon, if you were just, we just had the uh, Annunciation with Mary. The Lord has looked upon you, Mary, with favor, said the angel Gabriel. And this is a gospel promise of favor. One of the things we look at, I look at, is this gospel and how fresh and new it can be. Yes, we have the old going on. If we try to throw out all the old in our lives, I mean, how's that going to go? What are you going to tell your banker or your landlord? Oh, we're going to put that behind us. It's the new year. We don't need to move there. How's that going to go for you? Or, telling you how old I am, I remember when a man... It was his duty, it was his ongoing task, no matter what year it was, you had to, one, number one, be able to change your own oil, number two, be able to mow your own lawn. <laughs> how many guys, how many guys did uh, out here were pushing push mowers, and it was really fancy when you got the, the, the power mower, remember that? Yeah, and that, those were ongoing things that you had to do. It was something you did. It was like a law. This, thus, thus must do. And it was all in your control. But then I think as well of those things behind us, behind me in my past, that I don't want to let go. I was walking down this morning down our hallway and I saw this picture of this beautiful young bride that I have. And her picture on our wedding day. And you know what I remember? I remember those words, I do. And I remember the picture that we have there again of the, the boys when they were so young. And remembering, what if we heard of us, yes, honey, we're going to have a child. Or our, that boy, now six foot four, um, and having our first grandchild. I remember that. And all coming not from me and what I had to do, but coming a blessing from the outside. And that's, I hang on to that in the past. And one of the greatest ones I hold on to was when that young son of mine, the both of them, heard those words of God, Christ himself speaking through the pastor, I baptize you in my name, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are the kind of gospel moments that we don't want to let go. We want to hold on to. And as I'm kind of hinting around here, there's two types of religion only in this world, if you want to just classify them. One's huge. It's been around forever, has subsets, and one is very small in particular. The first one is the law. All the religions of the world that have come and gone, save one, based on the law, what we must do, like mowing the lawn, changing the, the oil, it's something that's in my wheelhouse to control. And the focus on the law is to do enough that God cannot refuse to take you. 
You've got everything so covered, there's no chance that God has any excuse not to take you in. And so we do good works and good things. And you look at things that, that let's say, feng shui, you know, if you're, you're a Buddhist, you know, you have to have all you... You ever try to buy a house or go out house hunting where somebody's doing feng shui and everything's got to be pointed the right direction and it's got to be in this area and the right numbers and the right colors? Can you imagine the bondage that that puts you in? But that's what you have to do. Or for the Hindu people, having um, reincarnation, that you have to do this stuff so that you can better yourself. Or this yin and yang, the, uh, what's karma, right? I want good stuff to happen, so I have to do good stuff. And you find yourself in bondage in the law of you always having to do something and never knowing if it's enough. Now, there's a few subsets. One of it is people who don't believe in God. They live by a law. It may be of their own making. It may be a political party, either direction, doesn't matter. They both are as passionate. I wish we had as passionate of uh, people in the Christian church who are as big as passion and evangelism as we do in, uh, you know, the right, the right wing or the left wing, because, boy, they sure, are, uh, they sure are passionate about it. We just got back from the Pacific Northwest, and you can see this law they live under in certain places up there. Uh, for the environment. Seeing a new house somebody had, and they said, well, we have a gas range, but please don't tell anybody because our neighbors will, will, will be ostracized because we're, we're burning fossil fuels. Everybody has the law that they live under out there. Even the atheists. Have you ever, ever noticed an atheist, you ask them, well, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. Well, do you do what's wrong? Well, show me where wrong is. Well, it's right about here. Well, tell me where you are. I'm always here. You ever notice that they define sin, but they always seem to be just a little bit above it? You know, the saying goes, God created us in his own image, and we've been trying to return the favor ever since. <laughs> the other side is the righteous law the righteous law of God, a blessing for his creation to show us what we should live like, what is possible by living by his law. It's not something he's putting his thumb on. He's trying to release us from that bondage of trying to create righteousness on our own. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It was striking when I learned about it. From Genesis on, God kind of acted quickly. Adam and Eve sinned. He drove them right out of the garden. Cain killed Zabel. He drives him right out. It was kind of like, he, you know, God is walking along. Here you are walking along, and God's like this above you, ready? Oh, did wrong. Gotcha. Oh, got wrong. Gotcha. And trying to keep you on the straight and narrow. Well, it comes a time when things have gotten so so out of hand sin-wise that God has to start over almost with the flood. And he chooses Noah. And then he sort of 
the flood comes, the rainbow comes, the whole thing. But implied in that whole thing of, of uh, the story of Noah and his promises of God is that I am never going to do that again. I am going to restrain my judgment, hold back on judging humans for a time. And so rather than letting us know every time we take a wrong turn, we now have to make our own choice. Free will is going to be greatly expanded. Well, if you're going to go around waiting for God to tell you every time you need something to do, um, here's how much of the Bible you need. There's Genesis 1 through 9. That gets us up to Noah. And if you say, well, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? Our free will has been expanded so large. How do I know now what God's will is? It's called the rest. <laughs> he tells you what is required. And this is what the law is. And we see it as broken people many times as this weight. But truly what it is, it's showing us how God has made us to live. Take the Ten Commandments. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. If you want something to do the rest of the day and probably the rest of the week, go try through and try to figure them out. Um, but the ten of them that we are so familiar with, you know, they're not called the commandments in the Jewish Bible. The people who wrote them, who live by them, they're called the words. They're not considered commandments. They're showing us the way God's chosen people live. And it starts with this. I am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. Those are the opening beginning of the words. Pure gospel is what God gives them. Here's what I have done. I have set you free and delivered you, and in your freedom you live like this. But yet what happens? How good are we at keeping the commandments as we see them? Have we ever stolen anything? Well, we may not have murdered somebody, but as Luther said, are we not murdering somebody, but looking at them not in the best light, not trying to help them, but kind of, you know, saying, well, they deserve what they get. Are we running people down? Uh, I don't do well in that one. Uh, let's see, do not commit adultery. Well, no, never, never done that. Ever watched a movie and your favorite actor or actress is up there? And you're just looking at them, George Clooney or maybe some of these other ones, you know. And you're looking and you think a few more thoughts looking at that person than always oh, doing a nice job acting. <laughs> Gosh, that's only two of the commandments and we're not doing very well, are we? But that shows us what the law does. It puts us under the bondage to show us our need for Christ. What it said is the law is from God, it is good, but it is a mirror for us to look into so that we can see our need for Christ. For someone else to do it. 
And that's what we have, this other religion. Very particular. Very different than any other religion I can think of on earth. That it's the gospel. It is hearing that it is not up to us, but to the one who sets us free. It was not our doing that brings us to Christ, to salvation, but it was someone else who was worthy. We don't have to play. This is what I was thinking about. Trying to live by the law, isn't it kind of like playing shoots and ladders? You know, you're trying to either walk, get up closer to God or keep from sliding away from God. And Christ says, put that all away. Put the board away. Because I've done it for you. God, throughout all of Scripture, has promised to be there and provide this freedom for us. And it comes all throughout Scripture, throughout our readings here, that he will look at us and he brings his favor. He sees us not for the sinner that we are, but for the saint that we are be have become. Yes, that's right. The only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. But Christ has done that. He's accomplished that. And now God looks at us with favor. And we look back at the Old Testament so that we may understand the words of the New Testament and how faithful God has been to us so that when Jesus was leaving this earth, right before he ascends into heaven after the resurrection, he gathers his apostles together and he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. They're referring to the gospel that you find there. That everything that is written there about the promise of God for his people and for you and I is there in the Old Testament. And that it has not been changed, it has not been thrown aside, it is not to be forgotten, it has been fulfilled. It has come to be. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Before that, they were trying to stumble along. And like you say, you, you watch The Chosen, they're just half the time there. You know, that's, I'm glad they're not there. They were doing it too, because I do as, as many times as well. Now they can understand that the God who's given us these promises gave it for our freedom. We don't have to chase after laws. We don't have to make up laws to try to get to God. We don't have to worry about our salvation. Did I do enough? Did I do too much? Is that, can that ever be forgiven? Because Christ took it all. He took everything that separates you and I from, from the Father and he left it on that cross. And therefore, he gave us, yes, the joy of being with him 
and good works to do in this world, but not for our salvation. He gave us those good deeds to do for our completion. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.